Well, we're going to be taking a break today from our series in the book of Hebrews. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to do a little mini-series on the resurrection. And that seems appropriate, right? After all, today is Palm Sunday, and then we have Easter next week. So in this new series, this mini-series that I've entitled Raised, we're going to look at our future resurrection as well as the resurrection of Jesus. And to help us focus on our future resurrection and the hope that we have, we're going to look at a few verses in the last chapter of the book of Daniel. So go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 12. And if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, then you'll know that it functions like a how-to manual on suffering. Daniel's prophecy... Like its twin brother, the book of Revelation in the New Testament, is a manual for the church on suffering and persecution. And that seems like an appropriate thing to discuss when you consider what's happening in our world today. Just like in Daniel's day, the church around the world is undergoing severe suffering and persecution. Christians are being killed all around the world because of their allegiance to Jesus. And I wouldn't be surprised if it started happening in America in the coming years. No, I'm not a prophet. I'm not predicting that this will happen, and I don't want this to happen. I don't want my children to grow up in a world where Christians are slaughtered or put in prison, but it might happen. And because it might happen, I want to help us get recalibrated this morning. I want us to get an injection of gospel hope this morning. And one of the reasons why we need some hope today is because of what is happening in our country today. The political landscape is crazy right now, amen? If you turn on the presidential debates, or you watch the news, or you catch interviews, or get on social media, it seems like the Jerry Springer show out there. I mean, it's crazy. It's, It's ugly. And it's not just the political landscape that's disturbing. Just turn on the news. There's riots. Terrorists are blowing up tourists who are on vacation. There are suicides, abortion, cop killers. It sounds a lot like Daniel chapter 12, if you ask me. And if you're intaking a steady stream of all of this stuff, it has a way of getting your eyes off of Jesus and what we're supposed to be about as a church. And that's this. We're here to live on mission with Jesus. We're not here as the church to make America great again. And that's not a dig at that particular candidate. We're here to stay busy making disciple-making disciples. We're not called as Christians or as the church to make America great again. We're called to make disciples, to tell people That they can be raised to everlasting life in the kingdom of King Jesus. And we don't need a quote-unquote political revolution in America. And that's not a dig at that particular candidate. We don't need a political revolution in America. 
We need a gospel revolution in America. It's Palm Sunday. We celebrate King Jesus and his kingdom. And we're not here for, quote-unquote, for America. And that's not a dig at that particular candidate. We're here for the advancement of the kingdom of God. We're not here for America. We're here for the advancement of Jesus' kingdom. And so when we see God's law, when we hear his law preached, it exposes our hearts. It exposes us as people. It exposes us as a nation who doesn't want Jesus as king. And we exist not to reignite the promise of America, and that's not a dig at that particular candidate. We exist as a church not to reignite the promise of America. We exist as a church, as our mission statement says, to ignite a passion in every person to glorify and enjoy God everywhere and in everything. And I know this from personal experience. If you spend your time being consumed with what's happening in this country and what's happening in the world, you just might lose sight of all of this. You'll lose sight of why you exist. You'll lose sight of why the church exists. I've been there, and I have done that. And that's why our big idea today is this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I know that's simple. I know that's a no-brainer. But how many of us need to hear it again this morning? How many of us need to be recalibrated with the gospel this morning? It's all of us. I know that's a simple big idea. I know that it's a, a no-brainer. But how many of us frequently get our, idea, our, eyes, our eyes off of King Jesus? It's all of us. And I think that's what Daniel is getting at as he wraps up his prophecy. He wants to inject his readers with some hope as he begins wrapping up his letter. He wants his present audience, he wants his future audience to keep their eyes where they belong. On God, on Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, on Jesus. So turn your eyes upon God's word in Daniel chapter 12. And look at verse 1 and hear the words of King Jesus. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Now you may be thinking, that doesn't sound like much hope, Daniel. There shall be a time of trouble such as never has been. That doesn't sound like you're injecting us with gospel hope, Danny boy. That sounds bad. It sounds real bad. You, you needed an editor, Daniel, to catch this because this is not encouraging. Well, maybe you're thinking that, but you're wrong. Daniel gives us reason to hope. Daniel is about to give us reasons why we can be hopeful, meaning full of hope, but he has to be honest and he has to tell us just how bad it really is going to be at the end of time. And when Daniel says that this time of trouble will happen at that time, he's referring to what he just said in chapter 11, verses 36 through 39, where he described this crooked politician, where he described this future king who would set himself up as God. 
This king that Daniel refers to in chapter 11, I believe, is the Antichrist. Paul refers to the Antichrist as the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And the Apostle John refers to the Antichrist as the beast rising from the sea in Revelation 13. And I think that's who Daniel is talking about here in chapter 11, verses 36 through 39. And Daniel says that when this man, this king, sets himself up and magnifies himself over every god, Daniel says that at that time, there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since. When the Antichrist sets himself up to be worshipped as God, things will be so horrible, so severe, unlike anything that this world has ever seen. And when you watch the news, and you read the newspapers, and you get on social media, sometimes it seems like that's happening now. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we're in Daniel 12 yet. But some days, I think we're on the brink of it. And I think this time of trouble will start when the Antichrist, who seems to be some kind of satanic-inspired crooked politician type, when the Antichrist sets himself up to be worshipped in churches. That's what I think the Antichrist will do. And I think that's what Paul means in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 when he says that the Antichrist will take his seat in the temple of God, meaning the church. Paul uses the word temple to refer to the church in his letters. He never uses it of a literal, physical temple building except when he talks about sacrifices that are made to idols in some sort of temple. But he mostly uses it to describe the church. And so when I read Paul talking about the temple, I think he's talking about the church. I think Paul is saying that the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will force churches to worship him as God. The Antichrist will set himself up in churches to be worshipped as God. And when this happens at that time, things will get very, 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 very bad. The closer it gets to the return of Jesus, I believe that persecution and suffering and violence and murder will increase all the more. It will be a time of intense suffering and tribulation. In fact, I believe that from the moment of Jesus' resurrection, his ascension up to heaven, until the moment of his return, I think we are in what is often called the great tribulation. From the moment that Jesus left the earth until he returns again to the earth, I believe the church has been in a great tribulation. We have been in the quote-unquote last days. And you may not think so, but if you ask Christians around the world, if you ask a Christian in Syria, are we in the tribulation? You know what they would say to you? Absolutely. Do you know what's happening in our country? If you ask Christians in the Middle East, in Africa, around the world, they would tell you, yeah, when I read the Bible, it sounds like what's happening in my country. They would read Daniel 12 and they'd say, yeah, this is happening right now. So that's my end time view is that the church has been experiencing tribulation since Jesus left and will continue to do so until his return. 
And I think that Daniel and Paul and John tell us that the closer it gets to Jesus' return, it will get very bad. And it will culminate with the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, forcing himself into churches and claiming to be God incarnate and demanding that people worship him. And Daniel tells us in verse 1, at that time, there will be a time of trouble like there never has been in the history of humanity. So again, you may be thinking, Daniel, that doesn't sound very encouraging. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. I thought you were going to inject us with some hope this morning, Danny boy. Well, he is, and he will. You just got to keep reading. So go back to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 again. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Did you catch the hope there? Daniel tells us that at that time, as we go through the most severe time in history, God's people will be delivered. God's people will be helped. In other words, God will not leave us or forsake us. He will be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us as we go through the most severe time of suffering ever known to humanity. And we get tipped off to God's presence with us by the mention of Michael, the great archangel. At that time, Daniel says, Michael will arise and stand and watch over us. And not just Michael, but myriads of angels. What do we learn in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14? That angels are sent to help believers. And what did Jesus tell the disciples when they tried to stop those who came to arrest Jesus? In Matthew 26 verse 53, Jesus said that if he needed help, he could call on his Father, who could just as easily dispatch 12 legions of angels. That's 72,000 angels. A Roman legion consisted of 6,000 soldiers. So Jesus is saying that, hey, if I need help, Peter, Peter with your sword, if I need help, I'm not going to you. I'm going to call on my father, and he will send 72,000 magnificent and mighty angelic warriors who can show up and help me. And I have a feeling that Daniel expects us to assume and infer that when he mentions Michael Standing guard over us. He expects us to infer that an army of angels will be watching over us. And what hope this injects into a suffering church. What hope as we endure and go through the worst time in history, myriads of angels will be watching over us. As we, the weak frail, wobbly church go through the most intense time of suffering in all of history, we will be surrounded by unseen legions of mighty angelic warriors. In other words, God will not leave us or forsake us. He will be with us. And you can sum all of that up with one Hebrew name, Emmanuel. God 
with us. Emmanuel, God with us as we go through the most severe time of suffering ever known to humanity. And Daniel tells you this so that you will keep your eyes on Jesus. He wants you to not be startled by what you see on the news. He wants you to keep your eyes on Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, the Lord of hosts. He wants you to keep your eyes on Jesus. And that will keep you hopeful, full of hope. But not only is there hope in knowing that we will be helped, there is hope in knowing that we are known. We are known by God. Our names, Daniel says, are written in the Lamb's book of life. So in a day and age when Christians are mocked and ridiculed in newspapers and on blogs and on social media and on websites, our names remain cemented in the book of life. In a day and age when the church gets slandered on Facebook and we're the butt of every joke of late night comedians, our names are cemented in the Lamb's book of life. And that might be what you need to help you get through this week at work as you are mocked for what you believe. As you reach out and you invite people to church, this may be exactly what you need to give you hope as they laugh in your face. And that might be what you need now as you think about what may happen in your future if you're still alive when Daniel's words start unfolding in the future. And speaking of the future, Daniel wants to tell you something else about the future. And it has to do with you coming back from the dead. It has to do with you crawling out of your own grave. Look at verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So even if it gets so bad that they start slaughtering Christians, as it is already happening around the world today, guess what? You'll be raised. You'll be raised from the dead. You'll be raised to everlasting life. You will experience resurrection. Christian, no matter what they do to your body now, you are coming back from the dead. I don't know about you. I'm not a big planner who looks forward to the future and things. I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to coming out of the grave, having my body experience glorification. Now, you'll get the same Benji Magnus that you see now. You'll like me better then. If you hate me now, I promise you'll like me better then. And if you like me now, you'll like me better then. So it's, it's win all the way around. Whether you hate me or love me, you're going to love me then. I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to the day when you guys can know me the way that God wanted me to be before Adam sinned in the garden. Y'all might line up to talk to me on the new earth. I don't know. But you're going to be the same way too, Christian. God's going to resurrect you and bring you up out of the grave in a glorified body. You'll never sin again. You'll never get sick again. And it'll be the best version of you possible. I cannot wait. We will get together 
and we will never sin again. I cannot wait. I don't want the six-pack abs in eternity. I don't care about that. I'm looking forward to never sinning again. Christian, you are coming back from the dead one day. It might get so bad that they start killing Christians in America, but we're coming back from the dead. It might get so bad here in this country that people start killing Christians, but guess what? We're crawling out of our graves. We're crawling out of our graves like they did in Michael Jackson's video Thriller, if you remember that. We're not going to look like those disgusting zombie creatures like in the Thriller video. We're going to be raised with new glorified bodies where we will enjoy the triune God on the new earth for all of eternity. And it's the truth of the resurrection that will give you a steel spine as you are persecuted. It's the truth that you will be raised to everlasting life that will give you a steel spine as you are persecuted, as times of trouble and times of tribulation come so they can kill you and they can put you in the ground, but they can't keep you from coming out in resurrection. So resurrection, being raised to everlasting life, should give you a still spine as you suffer persecution, as you go through tribulation. And if you're alive when the events of Daniel 12 happen, as you go through the worst time that this world has ever known, the truth and the hope of the resurrection should give you a still spine to endure whatever comes your way. And it ought to give you a soft heart too. Because Daniel says that some of the people that experience resurrection will be raised to experience shame and everlasting contempt. And when you read those words, it ought to break your heart for the people that you know that don't know Jesus. It ought to break your heart for the Central Coast where 16% of the people that live here have never been to church once. Such sobering words that will be true for some people one day. And so what do we need to endure times of suffering and tribulation and chaos and political unrest? We need a still spine and a soft heart. We need a still spine and a soft heart. How do we get a still spine? Stand up in the face of persecution, being mocked for what we believe How do we get a soft heart that breaks for those who mock and persecute us? Well, if Daniel were here, he would tell us, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's how it happens. That's how you develop a still spine and a soft heart. And when you keep your eyes on Jesus, it will also help you to encourage others to keep their eyes on Jesus. When your eyes are on Jesus, you'll end up encouraging others who need to be encouraged. Look at verses three through four. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. I think what Daniel is saying here is that there will be people during this time of intense trouble who keep encouraging the weak, frail, wobbly saints. Keep encouraging them to keep on keeping on. 
When Daniel refers to the wise who shine like stars and turn many to righteousness, he's talking about mature Christians who encourage scared, frightened Christians in the midst of this terrible time of history. As the world starts to unravel, God will raise up people to encourage the frightened disciples of the world to endure to the end. Ralph Davis explains in his commentary, he says, whether the wise are teachers, as a number of commenters th- commentators think, is not certain, but they do seem to be those who have discernment about what God's people are facing, who remain faithful in a time of suffering, and who bolster others not to deny the faith in such a time. Such encouragement can make quite a difference for faltering saints. What hope this is. Even as things begin to unravel, God will raise up people who will encourage others not to give up or not to deny the faith. He will raise up people to tell others to keep their eyes on Jesus. And where will this encouragement come from? It'll come from God's word. We don't have time to unpack it all here, but when Daniel is told to seal up the words of his vision, that many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase, he's being told something about God's word. Michael the archangel here is telling Daniel that during this time when all hell breaks loose on earth, knowledge of God's word will increase. The Hebrew word for run here connotes thoroughness. That there'll be to and fro. When it says that we run to and fro, it's like God's word. There'll be a thoroughness, a widespread knowledge of God's word during this time. So what verse 4 is saying is that as God's people give diligent attention to God's word, then their knowledge will increase. As we stick our noses in this book, we will begin to understand God's purposes. As we stick our noses in this book, more and more we will see Jesus. Knowledge will increase, run to and fro. Now, I find it very interesting. As I was reading this morning, I thought, okay, Paul talks about, in 2 Thessalonians 2, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. And then, at the beginning of chapter 3, after he talks about the Antichrist, what does he say? He calls for the Thessalonians. He says, pray that the word of the Lord would speed ahead. I think Paul had Daniel 12 in mind. Because what does Daniel say? The word of the Lord will speed ahead. It will run to and fro. And so in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, after Paul discusses the Antichrist, like Daniel does in chapter 11, Paul begins to say, would you pray that the word of the Lord would speed ahead? That God's people would stick their noses in this book? And what happens when God's people stick their nose in this book? We see Jesus. And when you see Jesus, what happens? You'll develop a steel spine and a soft heart as you endure suffering. And you might even be tempted to cross-dress. Huh? Did I just say that? Did I just say that when you keep your eyes on Jesus that you might be tempted to cross-dress? Yes, yes, I did say that. When you stick your nose in this book and you see Jesus, you'll develop a still spine and a soft heart, and yes, you may even be tempted to cross-dress. Now, before you hurl tomatoes at me, let me explain. One of the Puritans, John Flavel, did this very thing. 
As he suffered immensely, he stuck his nose in his Bible. He saw Jesus in the pages of his Bible. He saw that every story was pointing towards Jesus. And it caused him to develop a steel spine to endure persecution. And he developed a soft heart to care for the church and to encourage it. And he even dressed like a woman one time. I suppose you would like me to explain Okay, John Flavel, born in 1627, died in 1691, was no stranger to suffering. His father was a pastor and was thrown in prison for preaching the gospel, and then his father died from the plague. And then Flavel's wife, Joan, died while giving birth to their first child, and their baby died as well. Flavel remarried again, and his second wife died. He married for a third time. And yes, his third wife died. All that John Flavel knew in his life was suffering. And on top of all of that, Flavel experienced many hardships in his pastoral ministry. He was ejected from the pulpit, ejected from his church by the government, by some crooked politicians for nonconformity because he would not preach what they said he needed to preach. So he was kicked out. But he continued to meet secretly with his parishioners. Continued to meet secretly with his church. The government said that if he didn't conform to what they said, then he couldn't be a pastor. And so he was kicked out of his church, but he still met with his people. And on occasion, he would preach for them in the woods. He would meet them in the woods, and sometimes the meetings lasted until midnight. Church, in the middle of the woods, getting the benediction at midnight. And once... He even had to dress as a woman on horseback in order to reach a secret meeting place so that he could preach God's word and baptize people. Can you imagine that? Your pastor has a wig on and lipstick and makeup and he's wearing a dress and he's telling you, keep your eyes on Jesus. Can you imagine that? Your pastor shows up sometime wearing a wig, wearing makeup, wearing lipstick, wearing a dress, and he's telling you, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't worry, I don't have a desire to do that. In the 80s, I would have had long hair and makeup like a glam rock person, but uh, I'm, I'm off track. Yeah, I like that music. We're the guys have long hair and they wore makeup and all that stuff. That was, I'm a child of the 80s. I am di- digress. I don't have a desire to do that, okay? But if Daniel 12 started to happen, I would do whatever it took to keep sharing God's word with you. And I would even dress as a woman and meet with you in secret in order to encourage you with the gospel and to remind you to keep your eyes on Jesus. And this is exactly what John Flavel did. For a brief moment, He was a cross-dressing preacher. Why? Because he cared for his church and he knew that they needed to be encouraged like those people in Daniel 12 needed encouragement. And another time, Flavel was pursued by the authorities. He was riding his horse and just had to plunge with his horse into the sea and then swim through some rocks where he was cut very badly in order to escape. So John Flavel suffered greatly in ministry, and his final words demonstrate the perspective that he had through it all. Here were his final words. He said, I know that it will be well with me. Christian, 
When you're close to death, even if it means persecution, even if it means martyrdom, you're going to see Jesus. And so you can say, I know that it will be well with me. You're going to be raised to everlasting life so you can say, I know that it will be well with me. It's true for you now, and it will be true for you then. You will be raised to everlasting life. John Flavel knew that even though he suffered so much, God had a plan in it all. God indeed does work all things according to the counsel of his will, as Paul says in Ephesians 1. So listen, Grace, you can trust God today. When things happen that you don't understand, that make you scratch your head, know that God is working. He's working behind the scenes even if you don't see him. And when politicians come and go, know that God is working. Now let me read two more quotes by Flavel. He says, Some providences, like Hebrew letters, must be read backwards. The Hebrew language is written backwards, at least to us, meaning it's written from right to left. And some providences, like what in the world is God doing in this country right now, some providences need to be read backwards. We're going to have to wait and see. What's God doing in our country right now? We're going to have to wait and see. That providence may need to be read backwards. Flavel also said this, providence is like a curious piece of tapestry made of a thousand shreds, which single appear useless, but put together, they represent a beautiful history to the eye. Providence is like a curious piece of tapestry made up of a thousand shreds, which single, all by themselves, appear useless. But when they're put together, they represent a beautiful history to the eye. You only have a piece of the puzzle, and one day you will see the complete picture. Some providences like Hebrew letters must be read backwards. And one of these days, we'll all read backwards and see just what God was doing in every situation of our lives. And one of these days, we'll all read backwards and see what God was doing in America in 2016. So let's just get real practical as we close, shall we? Let me ask you this morning, what's consuming your conversations What's consuming your thoughts? Is it candidates or Christ? Is it the government or the gospel? What's consuming your thoughts? What's consuming your conversations? Is it talk all the time about candidates, the good, the bad, or do we have any that are good? Or is it Christ and what he has done, his promises? Not the promises coming from the campaign trail, Is it Christ and his promises that are consuming your conversations? Is it the gospel or is it the government? Is it America, making America great again, reigniting the the purpose of America? Or is it the advancement of the kingdom of God? What's consuming your thoughts? What's consuming your conversations? Who and what are you relying on for peace? Only Jesus can give you the peace and the hope that you are desperate for. True and lasting peace is not found in the absence of suffering. True and lasting peace is not found in the absence of pain. True and lasting peace is not found in the absence of some nominee. If you think true peace will come if you have an absence of suffering in your life, you're wrong. If you think true peace will come if you have an absence of pain in your life, you're wrong. If you think true peace will come with the absence of particular nominees, 
If that guy would drop out of the race, boy, I'll get true peace. True and lasting peace is not found in the absence of suffering, not found in the absence of pain, not found in the absence of some nominee. True and lasting peace is only found in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus. True and lasting peace is not found in the candidate of your choice. True and lasting peace is not found in the state of this country. True and lasting peace is not found in your paycheck. True and lasting peace is not found in any relationship. Why? Because all of these things change. Politicians change. We get new ones every few years. Amen? And politicians change their views. I don't know if we get an amen for that or if we all grumble. And countries change. Our country has changed, hasn't it? And paychecks change. And relationships change. But only Jesus can satisfy your heart. Only Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And this was the context of the promise of Emmanuel in Isaiah 7.14. When God told Isaiah that Emmanuel was coming, God with us, what was happening in Israel? Israel was about to be clobbered by the Assyrians. The nation was about to crumble. And so the promise to Isaiah was not, you will escape suffering. The promise to Isaiah was not, you will escape pain. The promise to Isaiah was not, you will have a stable country. The promise to Isaiah was not, you will get the leader of your choice. The promise to Isaiah and the nation of Israel was, I will be with you. And nothing has changed. If you think that you will get peace if a particular candidate does get the nomination, you're wrong. You may have a few moments of relief or exuberant joy, but it won't last. Why? Because even if your choice wins the nomination and the election, they'll eventually do something to rob you of your peace. Or, just a plain old natural trial and tribulation that we all experience will come along in your life and rob you of your peace. Jesus is who your heart is searching for, not this candidate or that candidate. And if you don't get this settled today, your life will be miserable all the way to November and after. Something better lies ahead of America, the new heavens and the new earth. Something better lies ahead of us, resurrection. Something better lies ahead of the church. We will be raised. We will be raised to everlasting life. Something better lies ahead of any politician. It's Jesus. And Jesus, unlike politicians, unlike crooked politicians, Jesus always keeps his promises. Let me ask you, did President Obama do all that he promised on the campaign trail? You don't have to answer. Did Bush do everything that he said when he was elected? Did Bill Clinton do all that he said when he got to the Oval Office? Did the other Bush do everything that he said when he was elected? There's only one word that you can trust. There's only one word that you can rely on for the future. There's only one promise maker that you can trust. It's God. It's Jesus He keeps his word. He keeps his promises. And that's why Daniel says that in the last day, knowledge will increase. Because he wants us to stick our noses in our Bibles. So pay far more attention to this book than 
to Real Clear Politics, which is a great website. I go look at it, Real Clear Politics. It's a great website, but pay closer attention to this book. I'm not saying don't be informed. Please, don't hear me saying that this morning. I am not saying don't be informed. I am not saying that you shouldn't vote. You should. I'm not saying stick your head in the sand and just say God is sovereign. I'm just saying pay attention to this book more than you do Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. And when you do that, you'll actually end up doing the thing that you should be doing. You'll begin to keep your eyes on Jesus. We'll end with a few words by D.A. Carson. The elders are reading through his book right now, Praying with Paul, a call to spiritual reformation. And we were reminded Tuesday night at our elders meeting to keep our eyes on Jesus. Carson says that it's when the church keeps her eyes on Jesus, that's when we'll be rooted in the gospel. And he's talking in this section about how the diversity of the church, how do all these weird different people get together and have unity and peace? Here's what he says. The only thing that holds such people together is their shared allegiance to Jesus Christ, their devotion to him stemming from his indescribable love for them. Therefore, when Christians lose sight of their first and primary allegiance, they will squabble. If we do not aim for the new heaven and the new earth, many of our values and decisions in this world will be myopic, unworthy, tarnished, fundamentally wrong-headed. To put the matter bluntly, can biblical spirituality long survive where Christians are not oriented to the world to come? Can biblical spirituality long survive where Christians are not oriented to the world to come? Where we're not oriented to the fact that we will be raised to everlasting life in the kingdom of God where Jesus reigns as king. That's where our eyes and our focus should be. This is why we must keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we readily admit that we don't value your kingdom as much as our own, our own little kingdoms of self, where in arrogance we say, if my candidate wins, then this will happen. Or if that candidate that I don't like wins, then this will definitely happen. And we're not you, you're God, you know. And so, Father... We have these little kingdoms of self where we're just focused on what we want in our lives, our homes, our city, our workplaces, even this nation. And it's not about that. It's about the kingdom of God advancing where people hear about King Jesus, your son. So would you forgive us, Father, getting off track? Would you recalibrate us this morning? Thank you for the good news of the gospel that where we fail, Jesus succeeded. And we're covered with his righteousness. May we be busy about the advancement of his kingdom for your glory, for our joy, and the joy of this world. In Jesus' name, amen.